Hi, everybody. I have some exciting news. I am launching a Substack. I know. I keep telling you how I'm not a writer, and I'm still not a writer, but I am going to be writing about reading over on Substack. The Substack is called Unstacked, and you can find it at tracythomas.substack.com. There will be free options every Friday. There'll be a bunch of weekly roundups, announcements, all the shit I'm into. And then if you want to upgrade yourself to the paid subscription, I'm going to have author interviews, bonus episodes, anticipated reads, book pairings, community chats, all sorts of stuff. So, If that sounds like something you'd be into, go to tracythomas.substack.com and join Unstacked. And of course, I've got a special offer for you. If you go to tracythomas.substack.com slash the stacks 10, you get 10% off your first year membership of Unstacked. You have from now until April 4th to redeem. Again, that's tracythomas.substack.com slash the stacks 10 for 10% off Unstacked. Okay, that's enough. Let's listen to this episode. Welcome back to The Stacks, a podcast about books and the people who read them. I'm your host, Tracy Thomas, and our guest today is actor Clark Moore, who you might know from the movie Love, Simon and the TV show Crazy Ex-Girlfriend. Before we dive in, I just wanted to remind you, in the show notes, there's a link that link will take you to all the books we discussed today, as well as the social media accounts for both Clark and the Stacks. Plus, if you shop through the links on Amazon, you're helping keep the Stacks free. If you love the show and want to help us grow and take on new exciting projects, check out our Patreon page. You earn perks like our virtual book club and you get to know you're supporting a podcast you love. It's super easy, so check out all the details on patreon.com slash the Stacks. If you're looking for a great book to kickstart your fall reading, email us at askingthestacks at gmail.com. Send us what you're looking for in a book, a few books you've loved and or hated, and then tune in. My guest and I will give you a personal book recommendation you're sure to love. So email us at askingthestacks at gmail.com. Last thing, remember to subscribe, rate, and review this podcast wherever you're listening to the show. It's super easy and it really helps the Stacks grow our bookish community. And as we all know, bookish people are the best people. All right, now it's time for my conversation with Clark Moore. All right, you guys, I am here today with actor Clark Moore. Uh, Clark is best known for playing Ethan in Love, Simon and AJ on Crazy Ex-Girlfriend. But I bet you didn't know, Clark also loves to read. Clark, welcome to The Stacks. Hi, Tracy. Thanks for having me. I'm so excited you're here. I feel I'm like so excited to be here. We just met, but I already feel like we're going to have lots of vibes. <laughs> we're kindred spirits. Totally. So why don't we just start? Tell me a little bit about yourself, like where you're from, Totally. who you are. Yeah, so I'm a Southern boy. I'm from Atlanta, Georgia. Georgia, born and raised. And um, after growing up there, I went to Dartmouth in New Hampshire, and where I studied history and Ooh, art history. Very, very an beautiful. Ivy League, is it not? I know. She's smart. Yeah. Um, and then I came out to LA uh, right after graduation, and I've been here ever since. And did you want to be an actor when you went to Dartmouth? Yeah. So I wanted to be an actor when I from like... That's one of my earliest memories. Um, I went to a performing arts camp when I was seven and my cousin was a counselor there (sighs) and she was like, you know, my parents wanted just a break from me for the summer. So I went for like, it was sleep away. I was, even though I was seven years old, it was kind of crazy. 
Um, and I just sort of fell in love with it. And I knew that I actually signed with my first agent um, there and started auditioning right away, like for kid roles at, you know, all throughout elementary school. And that was kind of my life growing up was my parents taking me, most of my mom taking me out of class and driving me to, you know, big mama's house audition. Oh my or God. like, um, I got a, I mean, I got a call back for big fish and had mm-hmm. to drive to like, Mississippi or Tennessee or wherever they were. Oh my gosh. So weird. They didn't like come to you. I think the first call was there, but they might've been shooting it. Oh, I see. Or something. I don't know. I just have this like very vivid memory of being like 10 or 11 and sleeping in the back seat and waking up and my mom being like, okay, let's run your lines, you know? So that was kind of my childhood was, uh, but it was fully driven by me. And I think they supported me, but they were very, like, they are not creative people. My mom's a dentist, as I told you. Yes, because you have great teeth. Thank you. <laughs> and, uh, all for, because of her. And my dad's a pilot. So they're okay. very, like, logical, you know, people. They, they, they enjoy the arts and they support right. the arts, but they were very much like, you have to go to college. You cannot go to a conservatory. Got it. Um, and even at Dartmouth, they were like, you can't study theater, which I sort of, trick them. I did a modif- what's called a modified major there. Okay. So I did history modified with art history and theater. Okay. So was it like the history of theater? It ended or? up being sort of like uh, this fake major that I made, but it ended up being like <laughs> architectural history and sort of like the ways in which we interact with built spaces, okay. which then sort of like got into performance art. So kind of like sociology too. Yeah. A little bit of everything. A little bit of everything. Useless. <laughs> no, but interesting. Totally. And part of the reason why I did that was because I knew I wanted to go into acting afterwards. Right. And so, you know, this idea, it was a liberal arts school. So right. this idea that what you major in is going to be useful is sort of irrelevant anyway. You right. know, you're studying history, religion, English. And some one of my friend's parents who also went to Dartmouth told me, sort of as I was like justifying my major mm-hmm. to them, she said that the liberal arts experience isn't about studying the exact thing that you're going to do. It's right. about building the lens through which you're going to view the world. Ugh. So, you know, I had a couple of friends who would major in religion or anthropology and now they're in med school or law school, right. you know, and it just sort of like the the undergraduate studies that they had in philosophy, even though that's not directly relevant to medicine it sort of shapes the way they approach. Right. Well, because there's like so much like ethics or something in medicine. Exactly. But I guess that must be true for all education, which is why it's like, can be so disappointing when you hear someone who's like, oh yeah, I never read a book by a woman in high school. And you're like, what do you mean? Like, cause that shapes how you approach exactly whatever comes next or how you, how you approach other people or how, you know, totally. So that's a really great way of looking at it actually. Yeah. No, in the, you know, it shapes the way you interact with the world around you. Right. Well, I was a theater major and, um, I don't necessarily know that that was the smartest thing to do, <laughs> but I had a great time. Yeah. And I am so much happier because I did it. <laughs> but I guess my job is no more in what I majored than your job is in what you majored. Right. So, you know. Well, so what do you do? So, well, I teach fitness. Okay. And then I do this. Okay. I talk about books, <laughs> which is hilarious because when I'm at my fitness job, sometimes people will be like, 
that, you know, I post about books on my personal social media and then yeah. on the show similar for the show. And, you know, people are like, oh, well, what else do you do? And I'm like, I actually talk about books. And they're like, what do you mean? Because everyone else is like, oh, I also am a personal trainer. Right. Or like, I also work at a gym or else. And I'm like, I also sit at home all day and read and then like <laughs> talk about reading. And it's totally unrelated. But it's a good balance for yeah, me. Yeah, that's amazing. Um, Okay. What? So you played Ethan yes. on Love, Simon. Mm-hmm. And he was an out kid in the high school. Yeah. And I'm sure you're an adult. I am an adult. But you played a teenager. Yeah. And continue to. And you continue to because you're very youthful. <laughs> you have great you. teeth. Again, great teeth. <laughs> Thank you. What is it like being like a role model yeah. for queer kids as an adult who I'm assuming you partake in adult things? Like sure. maybe you drink alcohol or maybe you go out late and party with your friends or yeah. maybe, you know, you've had a rough breakup that has become public or something like that. Like what's it like knowing that about you because mm-hmm. of the work that you do and who it's framed for versus like navigating that with who you are as a full grown adult. Totally. It's, it's bizarre. I mean, I will say, um, I don't drink, uh, not because of that. I, I stopped drinking actually right when I booked love Simon oh. as part of my weight loss regimen oh. <laughs> time. Okay. And then I cut out gluten, dairy, sugar, and alcohol. Um, cause at the time I was working at, at, uh, this tech company and I was super depressed and, Ugh. Uh, one of the benefits that they had there, though, was that they had like these in-house chefs. So oh. I was eating amazing meals all day long, and I sort of like gained. They called it the uh, it was sort of like the freshman fifteen, mm-hmm. you know. Um, so I stopped drinking and um, never started again because I just felt good. But it is weird, but also sort of you know, thankfully everyone else that is also acting as a teenager, you know, everyone else in that movie, for instance, they're all over twenty-one at this point. I think we were all over twenty-one when we made it. Um, and so I, I at least have like, I think the kids are aware mm-hmm. that they're role models a little bit more so than I think we were growing up, you know, like okay. I was shocked to hear that the people on the OC weren't right. 18 years old, you right. know? Like, well, like James Vanderbeek was like 70 when he played yeah. Dawson. I mean, it's, <laughs> it's truly wild. Uh, and so I think they're more hip to that now. Okay. And then with social media, I think they're also more aware of like the separation between the actor and the work, you know, I think there's less of a, uh, not everyone, people still sort of are like, that person is that character. Um, but I think they have a little bit more of an understanding of like the difference between us. But I'm also hyper aware of that constantly, you know, especially with regard to my social media and my, my, um, <clears throat> anything I'm ever posting on Instagram. I'm just aware that kids could be reading it or watching it and sort of thinking about, um, you know, I want to be honest and open and sort of show that I, I live a full life, but also I don't want to, uh, you know, for instance, I, I partake in marijuana. I smoke weed, but I never want to show, I don't like aestheticize smoking on Instagram right. or in my story. I'll never show that because I do it as like a, as an anxiety relief. Mm-hmm. Um, with, well, and it's legal here in California. And it's legal, you know. Um, but even still, I'm very, I'm hyper aware of like, mm-hmm. I don't want to, I don't want anyone to think like, cause you see people, you see these images and you're sort of like, oh, I want to do that. I want to, I can't get out of my head the images that I saw of people growing up drinking or smoking or whatever and thinking like, oh, they looked so cool. Right. And so I never want to want, you know, I never want to be involved in that. And then I, I was just thinking about this the other day, though. Like I, I spent the past week in uh, – I was in New Hampshire over the weekend for uh, a wedding. And then I was in New York for a couple of days. 
and I posted on my Instagram um, a couple of photos from the wedding. And um, I just had this thought of, you know, when we were growing up, we didn't have Instagram. I didn't have any role models really to look at. There were people who were in, you know, there were people of color and, and queer black actors who were who were working, who I could point to, but I had no idea what their lives looked like. Right. And I just was looking back at the photos thinking, you know, because people DM me all the time or or in my comments, you know, kids who are like, oh, I, this looks so fun or your life looks so amazing. And I just had this thought of like, if I could see that there was a future in which I was a full adult who was flying from my home in L.A., to a mm. wedding for uh, this straight guy who, you know, I didn't have any sh- many straight friends in high school who hit uh, this straight guy's wedding in, in New Hampshire. And I'm like kissing him on the cheek in one of the mm-hmm. photos. I'm like that. Mm-hmm. I couldn't have even imagined, you know, like these people who I'm surrounded, I just look at these photos and I look like I'm surrounded by love, by all types of people. And um, that's the one thing that I hope people are, are seeing in my, in my, in the stuff that I'm posting. That's something I'm really aware of. I love that. Well, it's true because, you know, we didn't have, like you said, we didn't have, even though we might have had role models, we weren't seeing what their day-to-day looked like. Yeah. And even though like, you know, Instagram and whatever, it's not all like fully what everything's like. You know, right. you don't post your bad days or your fat pictures or whatever. <laughs> but like, you know, there is a sense of like, oh, this person that I like or I admire, they're doing this thing. And and it's nice because it gives you a platform to talk about something outside of your yeah. performing And at the very least, it's coming from our perspective because we did have like, you know, Us Weekly or tabloids. Right. And that, you know, that's completely. But that's a lot of like people walking from like the grocery store. Exactly. Like a lot of like celebrities are just like us. They walk from the grocery store (laughs) to their car. (laughs) Yes. Um, Who were some of your role models growing up? Um, Or people that you like really admired, I guess. Yeah. Um, One of the, uh, one of the actors that I really loved growing up was Nathan Lee Graham. He, uh, he is, you've definitely seen him. He was in, um, uh, Sweet Home Alabama. Okay. He's the gay black okay. friend from New York. He wears the turtleneck. Yes, 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 yes. Okay. And then he ends up in the end sort of like, it's implied that he's dating, uh, like the, the gay guy. You remember there's like the country gay I don't gay really remember the out. story, but I, I seen it. That's what Reese Witherspoon. Yes. Okay. You should watch it at least okay. once a year. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> I love rom-coms. I, I love a rom-com. Yeah. <laughs> Oh my god. Um, okay, who else? Um, let's see. Who else? Mm, oh, I loved. Uh, I watched every episode of Will and Grace over okay. and over and I've over again. I've never seen an episode of Will and Grace. They're all on Hulu. I know. I just, I for whatever reason, I just have never been like pulled towards it. Yeah, I don't know why. It's so. It's just. So good. Do you think it would still be good now to me as someone who's never seen it? Because I wouldn't have any nostalgia. Right. Do you, how do you feel about 90s television in general? Mm, I don't know. I can't, I like Saved by the Bell. Yeah. Saved yeah. by the Bell. Um, My husband TiVo's Seinfeld still. Yeah. And it's really something that enrages me. Okay. I like Seinfeld, <laughs> but like, I'm like, do we really need to tape every episode every day? Right. Three episodes a day in right. syndication? You no. 100% don't. They are all on Hulu as well. <laughs> you don't need like to, to have it on the TV, I guess. I don't know. Yeah. I don't know. I just feel like Will and Grace isn't for me because sure. I feel like I missed the boat yeah. on it. And yeah. I also feel like now we have so much representation yes. for people who are queer, for women. Like yes. it's kind of just like 
this would feel maybe like a little redundant to yeah. me now. <laughs> it's a little dated. I will say I, so I have no idea because I have that deep nostalgia right, of with course. it. Um, but I do like, I, one of the things I've gotten into recently is just rewatching old 90s television in general and, right. and series I've never seen before okay. that are just all on Hulu. Right. Amazon I need to go and see what's on there. I say go for it. It's, it's so, lo- it's this amazing time warp of just like diving back into <laughs> Sabrina, you know. Oh, like, is Martin on there? I used to love Martin. I think you can, I think it's somewhere. Living Single oh, is on Hulu. So good. Okay. I, think it okay was I have to go. Time. You're like making me want to, this is bad because I need to be reading and not watching TV, but it's fine. <laughs> oh, did you, had you read Love, Simon before you were cast in it? Yeah, no. Um, no. So I, you weren't familiar with it? I was aware of the book. Okay. Uh, I have this weird thing though where, um, I mean, it's not weird. Every actor is like this. I don't want to get too in- invested in anything um, because, you know, every audition I go in for, I'm like 100% sure I'm not going to get it. Sure. <laughs> and especially that one, like it, for the exact reasons you were saying, I'm not, I was not 17 when I auditioned. And I was like, there's no way I get this part. I had also been on a series of auditions. You know, I had a couple of years where there was sort of nothing going on. Mm. Very few auditions. And then the few I did have, I was like, I'm not going to get this. And then I didn't. And and I had a full-time job at that tech company, like I was saying. So when that came in, I was like, I don't really want to, I'm not going to get it. Like, what's right. the point? And they were like, well, you can, you can go in it. 10 a.m. and my shift for the job I had that day started at noon. So I was like, okay, I'll go. And then I went and I completely forgot about it. And then I got the call back and then I was like, okay, maybe this is something, but still I didn't want to dive in. And then as soon as I got it, I read the book. And that's when I was like, oh my God, I'm so glad I, I'm so glad I didn't read this book before because I would have been too. Because you would have wanted it so bad. I would have wanted it and it would have been so brutal if I didn't get, you know. So yeah, I didn't read it before, but I I read before we shot it. And have you read other books that are similar or like books that you feel like fit in that same world since then? I told, I'm in and out because YA is a weird space for Mm me, Mm -hmm. Um, like YA lit. Uh, I I read a book by Jeffrey Self um, called A Very, Very Bad Thing, I think it's called. I'll find it. Um, And that similarly like queer uh it's an lgbt story high school uh like sort of romance story um and i loved that book but i think that the teen voice can mm-hmm. sometimes be difficult for me to come me too in and out of and and part and this is sort of just like showing my age you know it's like i whenever i read a ya novel i just feel so old because i'm like is this is not my voice right and then i'm like is this the voice they're speaking in and then I read, I like read message boards or I read comments, mm-hmm. or whatever, and it sounds like it is. Right. And so I'm like, wow, this is d- very distant. Yeah. From where yeah. I, am. I have that same thing. And I, when I read why, I'm also like, don't you know the answer? Like the moral of the story is so clear to right. me. And I'm like, this is not fun for me because I know where this is going. Right. right. But there's like tons of adults who read YA and like love YA. Yeah, totally. And YA authors, I have been told, like they really, while they're writing for young adults, their biggest market is adult adults. Yes. Which is so interesting to me because I can't really like get into YA. Yeah. I think for me, it's more like hit or miss, you know, some of them I'll like really lock into. And for whatever reason, it's just so, it's like exactly what I needed at that moment. And then some of them are, are more labored. I will say I found that 
if it's an LGBT story, I'm mm-hmm. more likely to connect with it now because it's something I didn't have growing mm-hmm. up, you know? Mm-hmm. So whereas a lot of the YA stuff, it's like a version of some, a story, you know, an right. updated version of a story I would have read in high school or right. middle school. If it's an LGBT story, then I definitely didn't read it right. growing up. Right. So there's at least that element right. where I can, you know, sort of project myself back into my childhood and think like, oh, if only I had this, how would right. it have affected me? Well, what were you reading when you were a kid? Like what I, books do you remember loving? I So part my relationship with reading has changed dramatically oh. over the years, obviously. I mean, not obviously, but just in the sense that it felt so much like work growing okay. up. Yeah. The, I would say the first book that I ever read for pleasure and really like could not put it down kind of thing was um, Harry Potter. That okay. was the first, you know, I was reading books in school constantly and mm-hmm. I kind of grew up in these <clears throat> extremely um, high intensity uh, prep school environments. So okay. it, it was the kind of place where we were reading like a book a week, you know, mm-hmm. in elementary school, you know, like it was tough. So we're, reading always felt like work mm-hmm. and I was always behind. I was very, always a very slow reader um, and reading comprehension was always the part that I struggled with mm. on the ACTs, uh, the SATs the most. Um, and just in class, you know, like I would read, uh, I had, a, I remember in high school having this teacher who would always ask the craziest questions to make sure we actually read the book, you know, like right. what color was his t-shirt? Ugh, I hate that. Yeah. And it was sort of like, cause he was trying to get a, train us to be really thoughtful about like picking up on all the details and really fleshing out the world as opposed to just like, you know, the, the themes that you could right. get from right. Cliff's notes or whatever. But for whatever reason, even when I did read everything very carefully, I just could never remember, right. you know, little details here. Even as I was, even as I'm going through a book now, I'll like have to go back and reread. Cause I'm like, why is, what is happening? You right. know, like right. I go in and out. So I would say, I would say that, Growing up, Harry Potter, those were the first books where I could get lost in them. Mm. And I would like, I would look up and hours have gone by, you know, or that feeling of having to sort of that feeling that you get now when you're watching Netflix. And it's like, do you want to watch the next episode? Five, four, three, two, one. Leave me alone. You know, (laughs) like getting to the end of a chapter and being like, I want to go on. Do I? It's midnight. Do I press on or do I just go to bed? Right. Um, I would say Harry Potter. That was the first. And it completely fundamentally changed the way I viewed reading because I was like, oh, this can be enjoyable. Right. If I just find the right stories that I can connect with, you know? Right. That's so true, especially like coming out of school. Mm-hmm. That was what it was for me, at least like after I graduated college. I was like reading things that I felt like I should be reading. Like I read Catcher in the Rye and I read um, Pride and Prejudice. Mm -hmm. And I was like, I hate reading still. And then I was like, let me pick up something that's actually interesting to me. And then I ended up being like, oh, I actually surprised. I love reading. Yeah. Like, but it's so the, it's the right book, Mm -hmm. which is why like on this show, we talk about books we hate Mm -hmm. because I think it's important to vocalize that some books are good and bad to you. Yes. And that like, yeah. that's okay. And that a book that you love is a book that I hate. And it yeah. doesn't mean that the book is bad or good. Like I never say like, what's a bad book. I right. say, what's a book you love and a book you hate. Yeah. And I feel like that's important for people to really hear and grapple with 
because I think we're pressured to think that something that is famous or or old or has withstood the test of time is a yes. good book. Yes. But I'm the first person to say that I hate To Kill a Mockingbird. <laughs> I don't like that book. I'm sorry. I Atticus, I'm not interested in you. And also, I think there's a lot of problems with you, Atticus. Yeah. I think you have a lot of problems. I do. Taking care of your health isn't always easy, but it should be at least simple. That's why for the last three plus years, I have been drinking AG1 every day, no exceptions. It's just one scoop mixed in water once a day, every day, and it makes me feel nourished and strong enough to tackle whatever else might come my way. That's because each serving of AG1 delivers my daily dose of vitamins, minerals, pre and probiotics, and a lot more. It's a powerful, healthy habit that's also powerfully simple. The nutritional insurance that AG1 provides has been vital to keeping me productive and focused. It helps me cover my bases in just about the time it takes to fill a glass of water, scoop in one scoop of AG1, and then drink it. So I don't know, 75 seconds? With the perfect mix of vitamins, probiotics, and nutrients from Whole Foods, I'm not stuck trying to assemble it all by myself, which would have considerably worse results. AG1 saves me all the time and hassle, and it has made such a difference in my overall mood and especially my gut health, among many other things. But don't take my word for it. Go ahead and try AG1. Let me know what you think. Whether you notice you're needing more nutrient support than you're used to, or you just need an edge for a tough workout, AG1 can be the ticket. If there's one product I had to recommend to elevate your health, it's AG1, and that's why I've partnered with them for so long. If you want to take ownership of your health, start with AG1. Try AG1 and get a free one-year supply of vitamin D3, K2, and five free AG1 travel packs with your first purchase exclusively at drinkag1.com slash the stacks. That's drinkag1.com slash the stacks. Check it out. Across America, BP supports more than 275,000 jobs to keep energy flowing. Jobs like building grid-scale solar energy in Ohio and producing gas with fewer operational emissions in Texas. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. This episode is brought to you in part by Noom. Forget one-size-fits-all diets. With Noom, you get a personalized weight loss plan that's tailored to your lifestyle. No food is off limits. Enjoy your favorites while discovering healthier habits. Noom's users love the flexible approach, blending psychology and biology to help you lose weight in a way that's sustainable for you. And great news for foodies. Noom just released the Noom Kitchen Cookbook, with 100 delicious, healthy recipes. Stay focused on what's important to you with Noom's psychology and biology-based approach. Sign up for your trial today at Noom.com. That's N-O-O-M.com. Grab your copy of The Noom Kitchen wherever books are sold. Let's see. I want to move on a little bit like to dive into your reading taste, but before mm. we do... We do a segment here called Asking the Stacks, which you probably don't know about because it's new since the episode you listened to. Um, So someone has emailed us asking for book recommendations and they emailed askingthestacks at gmail.com, people, and we're going to tell them what we think. This one, I haven't given you any preface. This one is very open-ended. So basically get your mind in the like books I love space. Totally. It's from Megan Moltrop. She says... 
Hi, longtime listener, first time requester, which Megan, I just want you to know that's like my favorite thing in the world because I listen to another podcast and they always say like first time, first long time. time. Last time. Wait, who weekly? <laughs> no, I listen to this podcast called the Tony Kornheiser show. Okay. It's like for elderly white men who love sports. <laughs> oh my God, what? I love that. Because <laughs> I'm an elderly white man who loves sports, <laughs> which is like what my reading taste is. Very weird. Anyways, long first time, long time. Um, she says, I am a new librarian at a law firm. Naturally, they asked me to run a new book club they're starting. They don't want it to be professional development or law-related books. It's pretty open-ended. I picked American Fire by Monica Hess for our first book, and let me tell you, they didn't like it. So here I am asking for recommendations for a workplace book club. Mm. So basically, Megan, I feel like you're telling us we can tell you anything that we think is good that's not about the law or like being a good worker. Right. So I, I'll go first. I just grabbed, I just picked three books that I've read recently that I loved. The first one is topical. It's called The Devil's Highway by Luis Alberto Urea. It's mm. about, uh, it's a nonfiction book about a group of men who are migrants who come from, um, Mexico, from the very south of Mexico to America through Arizona. They go through this very treacherous path. It's about their journey and it's kind of, it's a little, graphic in the sense that it's like they go through a lot. It's very hot in the desert. Mm. They're coming to an immigration center, but it feels very topical, even though the book was written in 2004. So it's not new or current about this administration at all, but it is about a lot about what's going on. So that's one. Book number two is called The Girl Who Smiled Beads, which is also about immigration, but this is by Clementine I'm going to fuck up her last name, (laughs) Wamoraya. And she um, was a Rwandan refugee and her and her sister came from Rwanda um, in the 90s and it's a really beautiful book. It's a very much a personal memoir narrative as opposed to Devil's Highway, which is more nonfiction. Um, and it's obviously coming from different places, but it's a female story. So I love that. And then I picked one fiction, which we did on the show, Home Fire by Camila Shamsi. Mm-hmm. It's a retelling of a t- Antigone set um, in London and Pakistan. And it's really, really good. It's totally unput downable and it's not super long. Um, so it might be a fun thing to take on some fiction for your workplace. So those are my three picks. They're all kind of topical, but not super on the nose right now. Okay. Okay, Clark. My three, it's so funny because I came over here in such a fiction headspace and I only have recently started reading more fiction. Oh. Like in the past, I read this book. Do you, uh, do you know Tim Ferriss, the four hour work week? Yeah. So I got in, I got very much into that okay. like, in 2015, and up until then I was almost exclusively reading nonfiction. Okay, and then in his book he says like <laughs> it's a little a little bit silly, but for a lot of reasons. But he says something like uh, as part of your day, don't read any nonfiction except for this book, and read like for <laughs> <laughs> right. me, and read like fiction at the end of the day. It's part of like opening your mind and whatever. Um, I don't know why I got onto that. Oh, because I I have a couple of nonfiction wrecks that sort of popped okay. into my head. The fir- the fiction one that I have is A Gentleman in Moscow mm. by Amor Tolls. Yeah. yeah. Which, um, you know, sort of in terms of, like you said, books I love or books I hate, I would say that one was right in the middle. It was, I enjoyed it a lot. Um, it was fun. I lived in Russia briefly, which is part of the reason why I... I studied there, which is part of the reason why I wanted to read it. Mm. Um, I, I will say there were moments where I had to push to get through it, okay. but overall it was really enjoyable and also light. So in terms, you know, like there's nothing, right. a lot of the books that I love are like 
deeply graphic in mm. one way or another. Me too. It might not be great for a workplace, but that one is sort of like right down the middle. Um, and then my nonfiction recs are both Joan Didion Ooh. because she's just so, good. so amazing. And oh, part of the reason why I was prefacing that with all the nonfiction is because fiction can be a fun way to sort of like explore new places and new like just sort of like stretch your imagination. But nonfiction, especially in a workplace environment, can give you the opportunity to open up to right. your coworkers in a way that you might not be able to otherwise, right. especially with these two books. So um, the first one is South and West, mm-hmm. um, which I read maybe within the last year or so. She It's basically travel essays. Joan Didion went down through the South and sort of had all of these really interesting experiences. Um, and she like took all these notes. And I want to say it was in like the 60s or 70s, um, you know, like deeply volatile time to be uh, – a woman traveling alone through the South and she talks about race. She talks about gender. Um, it's really, really good. And then, uh, and, oh, and also the, uh, there's like sort of a, it is contextualized by sort of the Trump era in the sense that, um, you know, there, there are these pockets of the world of our country that, you know, we in liberal bubbles have just ignored or pretended don't exist because it's more comfortable for us and it's easier for us to feel like we're moving forward if we mm-hmm. just leave them behind mm-hmm. as opposed to finding ways to, you know, connect with those people and sort of like grow together. Right. Um, so I thought it was really topical. And then the other one is A Year of Magical Thinking. Uh, love that book. Which I will say, trigger warning for anyone who's going through like grief, grief. at the moment. I The first time I read it, <laughs> the first time I read it, my it was when my grandfather died, mm. and I, my mom, I was in high school. My mom and I read it together. Mm. And let me tell you, a grandparent dying is not the same as a parent dying, mm-hmm. <laughs> mm-hmm. which I don't think I realized when right. I was sixteen years old and suggested it to her. <laughs> right. And so we had to stop halfway through. It was like really difficult for her. Yeah. Um, and I later finished it on my own. It's just such a beautiful. It's so good. It's so just heart wrenching. And um, but I, I say both of those because I think you know part of the thing that I experienced when I was working in an office environment like that was that it was hard to bring elements of my life to work. Mm-hmm. Um, and yet my life was affecting my work in right. positive and negative ways from time to time. And so I think it can, can just help contextualize, um, you know, that person isn't mean, that person doesn't hate you. That person's just going through something right, right now. Right. And maybe doesn't want to talk to you. It has no interest in hearing about your weekend because they're going through it, you know? Right. And so these kinds of books I think could help, spark dialogues, right? especially in like a more corporate setting that could be hard to have. Right. And I think um, something that's worth just mentioning, Megan, for you is that I think all, I think the thing that's nice about nonfiction, kind of what you're saying is that nonfiction, it provides a little bit less of a barrier to entry. Mm. Whereas fiction, I think sometimes people might get in their heads about like themes or like the writing or whatever. Whereas nonfiction, it might be easier and more accessible in the beginning when you're building the book club. Totally. That would be my impulse. Whereas like 
because people are going to be coming from different places and their relationship to reading is probably different than yours as a librarian. Mm. So like p- either picking fiction that feels very accessible or picking nonfiction that has, that's like talking about a lot of things will probably be your best bet. Even if it's not any of those books, yeah, I would say. I agree. Um, okay. We're going to move on to you now. We're going to talk about all your ah! books. I'm so excited. So we always start here. Two books you love, one book you hate. Okay. Should I go through the ones that I brought? No, or you could just um, go. They don't. I mean, if those books are those, but it's okay. up to you. Okay. So this first book is called Pnin. It's by Vladimir Nabokov, and uh, it. I the first time I ever read this book was in high school, and that's part of the reason why I. I would say over the years, I I've had many favorite books. It's always like a really difficult question for me right. to answer because I come in and, and you know I have favorite books for. Fa- certain times in my life or for certain reasons. Um, but part of the reason why I wanted to bring this one was because I, because I know one of your questions is also about rereading. Yeah. I was just going to ask you, which I rarely do, but this one I've reread two or three times Mm. and I've reread it at different points in my life. And it's meant something different to me each Mm. time. The first time I read it was in high school in my European literature class taught by Joseph Cullen Shout out to him. I was, I'm obsessed with him. He was amazing. He was this, uh, he was this British guy for, uh, who had lived in Atlanta for longer than I'd been alive. He was like lived in Atlanta for 20 something years or something. And I was 16, but he still had this English accent and mm. he was very, you know, snarky and he, we <laughs> love, you know, that British shade. Yeah. He, we loved it growing up. And he just sort of opened my mind to all different types of storytelling and different types of literature. And he, like I said, he taught my European literature course. And basically, this is the story of, it's sort of semi-autobiographical about um, Nabokov. It's basically like this professor who's teaching, he's Russian, um, but he's been exiled um, and as Nabokov was because of the aristocracy in, in Russia and he's teaching at Cornell mm. and um, there's all these like themes about the Holocaust and it's really interesting. The first time I read it, it was just a book that I, you know, right. a book I had to read for class and I liked it, but um, didn't really get it. And then I read it again the summer after I lived in Russia mm-hmm. and it just had a completely different significance mm. to me. And um, partially because, uh, you know, they are the Russians are very um, proud of their greats, you know Pushkin, Dostoevsky, sure. Tolstoy, but they're also very um, rigid about who, what that mean, what it means to be a Russian author, right. what it means to be Russian at all, mm-hmm. and many of them don't consider him uh, Nabokov to be Russian or well to be one of the Russian the authors, Russians, you know, because yeah. because he was exiled as a result of the political turmoil. And I just sort of like, it's so so silly, but I just sort of felt this deep connection to him as a figure because studying abroad in Russia was the first time that I lived in a foreign country. I had studied abroad twice in high school, once in Spain and once in France. And in both of those situations, I could see a way in which I could ultimately assimilate into the culture okay. or a beach, you know, walking down the street and someone would be like, Oh, maybe, maybe he's French. Oh, right. maybe he's right. Spanish, but not in Russia, never in Russia. <laughs> and I just knew that that was never going to happen for me. You know, that's like, they're very, they are the way they are. And so I just sort of connected with him about that, you know, 
someone who born and raised there is not really considered right one of them you know so Interesting. so i really connected with that pinin p-n-i-n we'll called. link to everything in the show notes and then the other one which is a more recent favorite is black deutschland by daryl pinkney okay and it's the story of uh this queer black guy in the 80s living in um berlin and like west berlin and West Germany. And it's before the fall of mm-hmm. the wall. And it's, um, I mean, it's just amazing. I, I'm, I'm in the place now where I'm trying to find as many stories about with LGBT protagonists, especially LGBT people of color mm-hmm. in the main roles. You know, it's, those are really hard to find. And this one, it just, I so connected with it. He's mm. from, he's from Chicago, the character born and raised in this well-to-do family and um, he's struggling with drug addiction and also just like coming to terms with who he is and how he fits into the world. And he sort of goes back and forth throughout the book between Germany and Chicago. And this, this, the book sort of sh- sheds light on a community of black people who live in Germany, um, who lived there in the 80s. And it's sort of this, they still live there now. There's a lot of black American expats who right. live in Berlin or who live in Germany. And it was something I just knew nothing about. So it was a really interesting to explore that world. Um, so those are two that I love. Okay. And then I'm meant to tell you one that I hate. Mm-hmm. It's hard to, okay. It's not that I. <laughs> <laughs> Don't worry. It's I what you hate so... today. It doesn't have to be lifetime hate. I know. I feel so bad. Okay. So I, Oh, I don't want to say that I hate it. Okay. So you can this, say you don't like it, or you can tell us why you're how about why... I'm having trouble connecting with it. Sure. Okay. So it's this book called Gingerbread. Okay. By, by Helen Oyemi. Yeah. And I don't want to say I, that I really have a hard time saying that I hate it. It's just that I'm working through it right now and I haven't found your way in. I have him. And I and I want to say I'm about halfway through. Okay. Will you finish or will you put it down? Are you a putter downer? I'm a completionist. Okay. Which is why if I I don't always finish the books, but okay. I if I don't I feel this intense guilt about like it. Like emptiness in your soul. Yeah. <laughs> so I don't know if I will finish it. I'm really trying. Okay. Um but it but that's also part of like the wanting to find uh stories by people of color written by people of color. Um, about basically about women, anyone who's not a straight white man, right. you know, I, I read those books as well, but right. I, I've just read so many of them right. in my life. So that uh, it's okay. I don't, don't hate it. <laughs> you don't have to apologize for not liking something. It's okay. I just Everyone lo- doesn't I like things. I would love to find a way into it. Maybe I, a little I, later. Maybe. In life. I guess going, also going back to what we were talking about earlier, the, um, my relationship with reading, if it's labored, if <laughs> it, you know, it's really difficult for me. And it's, it's sort of like one extreme or the other, you know, I either am flipping the pages Mm -hmm. and can't stop or it's like, it's like work. I'm reading the same page over and over and over again. Right. And I'm like, what is going on here? I'm not paying attention. I hate that so much. Do you, you mentioned that you're trying to read a lot of books about Mm -hmm. queer, black or people of color. Yeah. Are there any that stick out to you as like favorites aside from Black Deutschland? Totally. So there aren't a lot. Okay, um, that's but okay. the another one that I recently read that was really good is called The Cosmopolitans by okay. Sarah Shulman. Okay. And she's written a bunch of books, but that that book is um it follows these two people 
a white woman and a black gay man who are living basically across the hall from each other in New York in the 60s. Okay. And she, I can't remember what her job is. She like, I think she works at an office or something and he's an actor and um, it's beautiful. It's, it's dark. It's long. And, uh, but I just sort of like breeze through it. Mm-hmm. You know, it was so amazing. Um, and then what was the other one? Oh, I just got this book that I haven't, I haven't read it yet, but when I went to pick up Never Let Me Go, I also bought it because it was on the, it was on the like top mm-hmm. 10 pickup book soup. It's called Lot. <gasps> it's so good. Okay. We, so I, I got to interview him on the show in oh, March. Really? Yeah. We did one of our mini episodes, Brian Washington. Mm. It's so great. Okay. Oh my God. And it's about, a it's gay. short stories. Okay. Um, the even the odd short stories. So every other story, they're not really numbered like that, but like the every other one mm-hmm. is about one family in Houston. Okay. So it follows this family like over a little bit of time. And then mm. the even ones are just about like these little vignettes of different people in Houston. But it's okay. very queer. It's very brown. Yeah. It's very good. Yeah. He is like 17 years old. He's not really. I think he's like 26 or 27. Really? And he is a force. Wow. I don't like really like short stories. I don't really like fiction. And I was like flying through it. I thought it was fantastic. Yeah. Um, and he's like also really into food. So his like Instagram is really fun to follow. He's Where does in, he live? What's he's from deal? Houston. Okay. He lives in Houston. He's in Japan right now editing because his second book, he already has like a book deal with Riverhead for his second course, book. And so I'm like loving following him in Japan. When I was in Japan earlier this year, it was right before we interviewed and he like DM'd me and was like, you need to go to this neighborhood. It's amazing. They have the best food. And I went and of course it was the best ramen I had oh. in all of Japan. So I'm a big Brian Washington stand okay. and Lot is really, really good. So I'm gonna jump on the bandwagon. You're gonna you're gonna like it, I think. I think so. Um okay, what's the last great book you read? Mm, the last great I mean, mm, the one never when we read Never Let Me Go. Okay, we'll save good. that. We'll okay. save talking about that. We're doing Never Let Me Go next week. You guys should read it now because we're gonna spoil the shit out of it. We're not holding back and I'm sorry. <laughs> so read it. Or don't read it, but don't be mad. Um, okay, what about what are you reading? Well, I happen to well, know, we I, both I just say, finished. I can other I can do another one that was another one of my favorites, The Interestings. I don't know that by Meg Wolitzer. Okay, it um, honestly, it's what I thought Never Let Me Go was going to be. Oh, <laughs> and it was not. It was very different. It's about um, and you'll see when I when I read the uh, when I read the like back cover the blurb or I, whatever. Yes, I was like, oh, very similar. It The Interestings is about um it takes place over sort of like the span of a lifetime. And it's this woman who I want to say she's in her like midlife fifties, sixties, maybe, maybe forties. I don't remember. I read it many, many years ago, but anyway, she's, she's an adult woman now who's talking about this group of friends that she's had her entire life that she met at summer camp in the seventies. And, um, it sort of like goes, it jumps in timeline from then to, adulthood to young adulthood 20s in you know being 20 something in new york um and actually amazon made a pilot of it a couple of years ago but it didn't get picked up unfortunately but it's one of my favorite it just didn't quite work um as a as a series i guess but it's such a good book and it was one of the only times that i've i mean you want to talk about like page turning by the end of that book 
well, I don't want to spoil anything, but throughout it, I was just sobbing. And there was a moment where I was reading it in my living room while my two roommates at the time were asleep. And it was like midnight that, that <laughs> what we're talking about, like pushing yeah, through, yeah, trying yeah, to just yeah. get through it. And I was sobbing mm-hmm. so hard that I had to like muffle because I was like, I'm going to wake them up because <laughs> oh the book is just so good. Oh my God. That's such a good endorsement. Yeah. How do you pick your next book? Are you like, I look at the New York Times. I talk to my friends. I just walk in the bookstore and yeah. see what happens. I wish I had a system. It's okay. one of the things in adulthood that I'm trying to codify because I feel like if I could just crack that code, then the percentage of times where I'm reading a book that I love versus the times when I'm like, Ugh, I don't know if I'm right. going to finish this. Sure. I think we all feel that way. You know, but I haven't, because the other piece of it also is I don't want a book that no one else is reading. Right. Because then I feel like, okay, well, why didn't this crack through? Sure. You know, it's kind of like with ser- television series right. now. If if everyone's watching it, if everyone's reading it, there's this sort of communal yeah. experience that so rare these days because of how fractured we are. So I try to find that if I can. I love to get into that like pocket. But then at the same time, I hate to be the one who's like, you know, reading the Da Vinci Code in 2000. What was that? (laughs) Three or whatever. You know, like everyone has the same book. (laughs) And it was me. I remember my mom was like, I was reading it in the airport and my mom told me someone was like, I can't believe you're letting your child read that book. Because it was so, I was, was in the it? South and it was like, oh. it was about like religion. And, yeah, I don't and remember like, that part of it. I went to Catholic school. I don't even remember that part. But yeah, it was all, remember like the guy who's like self flagellating. Oh, yes, like, of course. It was like all the dark stuff yeah. of religion. Um, and uh, anyway, but so I try to find. I, you want to be on like the upswing of a book, but you're mm-hmm. not trying to be a first adopter, right. but you also don't want to be a late adopter. Right, right, exactly. So if it, you know, I, I always check the New York Times yeah. uh, bestsellers list. I look at, I have a couple of friends who have really good taste and mm. they've somehow cracked the code. So I sort of ask them and then Amazon will just sort of, you Tell know, you. honestly, that's how I found gingerbread was Amazon was just like, this one might be right for you. Mm. And, um, and it wasn't quite, it didn't quite hit for me, but, um, you know, sometimes yeah, you miss. Yeah, you and some, you lose some. Yeah. What's a book that you really like to recommend to people? The Interestings is high. Oh, also this one that I brought, um, Swing Time by oh, Zadie, by Zadie Smith. Smith. I've still not read a single Zadie Smith, which I'm super embarrassed about. This is a good one to start with, I would say, because um, I also tried to read White Teeth okay. afterwards, and I didn't quite connect with it as much. Okay. Oh my God. This book was one of those where I was just like, just like turning the pages. I want to say, wait, let me just look real quick to make sure I don't say the wrong thing. Yes. Yes. Okay. I was, I didn't, (laughs) you know, I was like about to tell the plot of the book and the other other one completely could have been a different book. Yeah. Um, so it's about a girl named Tracy. And she's a dancer, right? Mm-hmm, yeah, yes. yeah. And she's mixed. Exactly. She's me, actually. Mm-hmm. Zadie she's is me. Living your life. <laughs> um, and uh, she sort of like, you know, it follows her growing up. And then most of it, I would say, is when she's a 20-something. And she's working at like this, I don't know if it is MTV or if it's an MTV type place. Right. And she ends up working very closely with this Australian pop star named Amy who is sort of like a Kylie Minogue type. Okay. Okay. <laughs> and she's like traveling around with her. And I read it at a time when I was doing something very similar. Like one of my best friends um, went on tour a couple of years ago 
and I was, uh, I was helping him. I was doing his social media and I was doing his merch and it was one of the darkest times of <laughs> my life, which he knows. Um, but it was, uh, sort of very similar to I see. just sort of like living in service of someone else's mm. dream and someone else. And that's exactly what she's experiencing here. And she's completely lost and it's so twenties, you know, it's very, right. So I always, that, that's a really good one. Okay. I like into. that. Do you have, any favorite bookstores? I really like Book Soup mm-hmm. on um, Sunset. Sunset yeah. yeah. And I actually recently, I've been rewatching Entourage. Mm-hmm. And there was an episode where uh, where Vin, Vinny, the Adrian Greenier's mm-hmm. character, was in a Book Soup. Oh, really? Picked up, um, picked up a girl who was looking at, but they ended up like going, hooking up. And the actress who played the, the girl who he ends up ha- sleeping with, is on Sabrina, which is another show that I'm... Sabrina the Teenage Witch? Yes, the oh. 90s one. Yeah, okay. So it's sort of like... <laughs> a lot of worlds of, colliding. Yeah, all these old Like very weird worlds. That I'm rewatching, <laughs> And they were both in the book soup on Sunset where I bought Never Let Me Go. Oh so That's uh, I, love, I love that story. <laughs> I also love... Um, there's a bookstore that I can't... It's It's so cliche to even mention it, but I can't remember... And it's dumb that I can't remember what it's called, but it's in Paris. And oh, Shakespeare and Co. Yes, yeah, mm-hmm. of course. Beautiful. I've never been in there, but I know I'm familiar with it. It, it. I just like went in there and breathed, took a deep breath, mm. and just like spun around in circles. And they were like, "Why are you here?" <laughs> They're <laughs> like, "Monsieur, yeah. please, are you going to buy anything? <laughs> Get out." <laughs> okay, let's see. What's the last book that made you laugh? Hmm. I don't really laugh. I don't really laugh either. When I read. <laughs> I laugh in life, but not when I'm reading. Yeah. It's, oh, I know I have, I mean, I know I have, but. Do you ever audiobook? I don't. Okay. Mm-hmm. When I audiobook, I laugh. Like okay. I laughed at Tiffany Haddish's book because mm-hmm. she reads it and she's like so funny. Yeah. She's very good with text. Yeah. <laughs> she's just great. I, la- growing up, I laughed. But maybe the first time I ever sort of had that experience was with. Chelsea Handler's book, mm. um, Are You There, Vodka? It's Me, Chelsea. Mm-hmm. And I've read that book three or four times. Oh, you have? Yeah. It, the first time I read it was in like maybe junior year, senior year of high school maybe. And that book had me cracking up. That was like, that was <laughs> in, like knee slapping humor. And I was like, I can't believe you can be this funny in text. Um, so I guess that that's fair. Like more nonfiction-y stuff yeah. will make me, it's rare that I laugh in yeah. fiction. Have you read her new book? Mm-mm, no. I haven't, but I've heard it's really good from yeah. people who I really trust. Life so, will be the death of me. Yeah. I think it's like not, I think it's less comedy though. Yeah. I think she's like reckoning with some stuff in it. Yeah. She goes to therapy. I've been listening to her podcast oh, okay. tour about the books. Oh, okay. And so she goes to therapy and sort of like explains goes through all of these issues that she's been dealing with, with her brother who died and, and her relationship with her father and her mother. And, um, and so, yeah, I've heard, I've heard good things about that yeah. too. I love her. I see. I don't, I don't really have a frame of rep. I don't not yeah. love her. I just, she's not in my world. Yeah. 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 She's one of my favorite oh. figure comedians. Just like I've always loved her. Hmm. I loved her show Chelsea lately. I loved Chelsea does. I loved Chelsea. I'm I excited get her to see confused her. with, do you remember on Oprah? Oprah had the like white lady friend with blonde hair who was like kind of like loud and obnoxious. 
No. Allie, maybe something. Okay. She was married to someone hot. Maybe she was married to George Stephanopoulos or something like that. And I always thought that was Chelsea Amar. (laughs) Anyways, turns out different people. Uh, What about the last book to make you cry? Um, The Interestings. Yeah. Okay. When did you read that? Um, 2015. Okay. I want to say. Okay. What about the last book that made you angry? Oh, I don't really get... Like angry because of the... It could be for whatever reason. It could be angry because you are mad that the book sucks. It could be angry because what's in the book. It could right. be angry because the characters are doing things that annoy you. Right. So uh, I don't know. Okay. A little... Okay. I'm, you're going to get some... <laughs> either you or I will get hate mail for this. A Little Life. Oh my gosh. Yes. Talk about it. Okay. So it's amazing. And the I would never begin to... I wouldn't pretend like the writing isn't the, the, writing's the fantastic. best writing I've ever see, read in my life. I can't get through it. Okay. I have been reading it for the past four years. Okay. And I just, I mean, I'm on page maybe 400 or something out of 800. Okay. And I just like, there are, that's, uh, that makes me, I wouldn't say angry, but just frustrated yeah. because it's so like, tough. I mean, it's brutal and it is visceral and I I can't, it's not like I can't read it because it's not good. I can't read it because it's so painful to read, you know, like, and then I've told my friends what, what I've seen, what I've read and of the book and what I've gotten through and why and everything. And they're like, oh, you haven't even... I was just going to say, it only gets, it only gets more. worse. And you're like, like, how right could at, it possibly... I feel like you're at the part right where it gets good, but also Ugh. it gets terrible. But I have... That book makes me angry for other different reasons. Mm. I read it in like seven days. Okay. Like I like... Yeah. I mean, it helped that I was flying to Thailand. So I just was right. like, I had plenty of time. <laughs> like, what else am I going to do? But... The book is what I like to call painful for painful sake. Yeah. And like, like a torture porn. Yeah. And it's, so it's like, that is frustrating to me. I have a lot of feelings about the book. I really enjoyed reading it. I really loved it. But then thinking about it after having finished it, I have a lot of thoughts that are not as enjoyable as the experience was. Yeah. yeah. Which sometimes happens, I feel like, with with good art and mm-hmm. not good as like a value judgment, but good as in like it leaves a lot to be discussed. Right. You know, or like right. worthy art. I don't know what you would call it. But there's a lot to dissect in that book right. to me. Um, and that, it also comes up on this show all the time. Well, that's exactly what I was going to say. That's one of those that I, that I, um, where it hits right in the, you know, it's so rare that everyone, re- I mean, people don't read very mm-hmm. much these days in general. It's so rare that everyone's reading the same book. Yeah. And I felt that's one of the books that I felt like a social obligation to at least have some sort of opinion right. on. Um, because otherwise it just felt like I was completely ignorant and out of the loop right. at the time. Um, and, and I feel the same way about The Goldfinch. I've not read that. And neither have I. Because <laughs> I started it in, around the time when everyone was reading it. And, and I will say also there's this a little bit of like, you know, when a book is really long mm-hmm. and everyone's reading it, there's this element of like, well, I got... You know, yeah, like I did it. Like, check. Yeah. yeah, I can read a one thousand word book, even yeah. though I have a full time job. Right, I'm working sixty hours a week. You know, like right. So there's also a little element of that where I'm like, well, did you really like it, or did you just do you, you just feel like proud that, that you, you finished it? it? Yeah. <laughs> so I couldn't, for some reason, I couldn't 
I loved A Little Life when mm-hmm. I read of it, but mm-hmm. I I just couldn't connect with the Goldfinch and no. um and yeah, that sort of that like that weird social obligation yeah. of like everyone's doing it, so I must. Do well, it I want to be a certain kind of person. I have to have consumed this certain book, kind yes. of thing, and like yeah. it says a lot about who you are. Totally, there are a lot of air quotes there, people. Um, <laughs> okay. This is good. I want to get to this. Okay. What is a book that you would assign to high school students? Having played a high school student, yeah. having been probably, you're probably more connected to high school students than most sure. 20, 30 somethings. So what do you, and like also having been a queer kid, you were mm-hmm. out by the time you were in high school. Yes. So mm-hmm. like having, you know, lived your life, you kind of have yeah. this weird insight maybe to high school kids. So what's something that you feel like not that you speak for all high school kids, obviously, <laughs> but like what is something that you feel like would have been major for you had it been assigned or you think would be major for kids now? Yeah. Um, like books that existed. No, no. It could be a book, anything that exists now. Right, 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 right. I have two actually. Okay. Okay. So one is fiction and one is um, nonfiction. The first one is Americana mm, by Tramanda Ngozi Adichie. So that was one of the books where the first time I read it, I, I mean, I just, yeah, couldn't put it down, just breezed through mm-hmm. it. I would say part of the reason why I would suggest that is because, you know, it's not a queer story, um, but I often relate to stories told by black women because mm-hmm. of the um, intersectional aspects right. of it of black women oppression. Right. And I feel like that was, that's very similar to my experience. And there's this whole storyline. I mean, she sort of goes through these various relationships with different types of people. Mm-hmm. And, um, it really shows, you know, it just sheds light on types of relationships that I didn't have any insight into, you know, right. For me, I was sort of projecting the, any kind of relationship I would have onto these cis heteronormative relationships Mm -hmm. and so and in so doing assuming you know the female role and it just isn't quite it just doesn't fit you know it doesn't really right but um and even though that would be a similar experience for these kids reading americana uh if they are you know not female there's the way she interacts with these people and the way they sort of interact with her identity specifically Mm -hmm. i think is what i would have really benefited from growing up sort of just this idea that just because someone isn't saying slurs to you doesn't mean they don't have fundamental racist, you know, just because someone's attracted to you doesn't mean they also aren't still racist or like have racist idea ideas or, you Mm -hmm. know, um, and, and in, because of that, like you could unknowingly be in a relationship that's actually really toxic for you. Right. Um, and I could have avoided a lot of... <laughs> Had I read this, I could have made so less mistakes. That one, I would say, um, top of the list. Also, the first word in that uh, in that book is Princeton. Mm. And I like the I opened that book and I was like, let me read the first page of it. And I saw the first word and I was like, done. A black woman writing about an Ivy League school, I'm in. You yes, know? I love that. The second book I would suggest is Selfish because I'm in it. It's my friend Riyadh's book. It's called Yay, You're Gay, Now What? A Gay Guy's A Gay Guy's Guide to Life. Okay. And um, basically throughout it, he interviews all these different people, mm. talks about their experiences, gets advice. Um, it's a cute little, you know, pocket guide for, you know, sort of like a Zagat's travel mm-hmm. guide. And it's sort of like 
guide to your new life. And mm. he interviewed all these different types of people, um, including, uh, I mean, I couldn't, Stephen Fry. I mean, all these pe- really amazing people who basically just show that there are, there's no one way to right. be gay. And um, it's, I think, a book that if I'd had that growing up, it would be just to show that you're not alone and whatever you're experiencing it, you're not the, whatever you're experiencing, you're not the first person to go through right. it. Um, so I would really, he's, he's saving lives with that book. So I would really suggest that one. Plus you're in it. So why yeah. not? And there's a cute little picture of me. <laughs> <laughs> okay. I have two more questions for you. What's a book that you've read that you'd love to see turned into a TV show mm. or a movie or something? Yeah. Well, that's part of the reason why I've been focusing on, um, stories with LGBT uh, protagonists of color because I'm looking for stories to adapt or mm. stories to option or, you know, that I could, you know, potentially play or right. produce. Um, Black Deutschland is the top of that list, list for me. I think it, I think someone else always already has the rights, which is so sad, but um, that one is, I would say that that's really high up there. Um, Anytime I'm reading something, I'm always thinking like, could this be a series? I'm projecting myself into it, projecting like, how could I tell this story? Which honestly might be part of the reason why my relationship with reading has changed so much Mm. because, um, you know, I was talking to someone about this recently who was saying they love reading, but they just have so many things to do that when they sit down to read a book, it feels like not a waste of time, but it feels like a leisure activity, Mm -hmm. not something that is like, so just by having that sort of shift of, um, a purpose, you know, it changes the way I, I'm just such a goal oriented person. It's much easier for me to read a book if I have to, if I have a deadline, like talking to you today, you know, (laughs) um, I could have read it any, any number of the days of the past couple of weeks, but I read it all last night and the day before. Um, and when I have these books that I'm like, oh, I could maybe adapt that, then I read it more intently or right. more closely. Um, so yeah, Black Deutschland or um, there was this other book that I that I really loved called Tuesday Nights in the 1980s. Okay. Tuesday Nights in 1980. Will you look it up? I'll look me? it up. Don't worry. I'll, I I'll put it in the show notes. I can't, um, can't remember who the, uh, the author is either, but it bounces around to different, um, there's like, there's a bunch of cool storylines in New York and artists and, and sexuality. And um, there's a story between South America and New York. And it's really interesting. I think that could be told in a really interesting way. Okay. I love those. Last question. If you could require the current president of the United States to read one book, what would you pick? Uh, honestly, any book <laughs> would be great. Um, I would say between the world and me, mm-hmm. By Tanahasi Coates. Yes. We did that on the show. Maybe he'd listen to an episode also. Yeah. <laughs> just because it's so I mean, I couldn't even I couldn't even read it. Like I I got through every time I go back I've I've been reading it. It's a short book. It's but so short, yeah. Every time I read it, I'm like <laughs> it's funny because there are these books where my, my mom used to say growing up, she was like, because I, I've always lived in predominantly white environments mm-hmm. and my mom, you know, works in predominantly white environments and always has 
she was always like, oh, that's what, I can't read that book because that, that's one of those books that makes me angry with white people mm. and I have to work with, I can't like, mm-hmm. you know, and that's so true. That's one of those books where it like triggers me and mm-hmm. all of a sudden I'm talking to my friends and I'm like, just shut up. And they're like, what's wrong? And I'm like, wait, that has nothing to do with you. <laughs> this book is triggering me. This you is know? how my husband feels with me every day. <laughs> I'm like, do you understand why what you being a white man is a problem for me yeah. in this moment? And he's like, I just want some. He's like, I just woke up. I'm yeah. like, oh, you did? Oh, how lucky you just woke up. I've been up what for an privilege. hour. I couldn't even sleep tonight. <laughs> yeah, I know. So I, it's like, those are those are the hard ones of like, uh, it's so important, but. Mm. Yeah. I have a book for you. It's not mm. out yet. It'll okay. be out in October. Mm-hmm. It's called How We Fight for Our Lives by Saeed Jones. Do okay. you know him? No. He's like amazing on Twitter. He worked for BuzzFeed for a long time. They did that Twitter like TV show AM to DM or whatever. Okay. Okay. And he was one of the hosts. He's a black queer guy from uh, Texas and it's his memoir Ooh. and it's so good. It's called what? How we fight, how we fight for our lives. Okay. And his name's Saeed Jones. Ooh. And it's great. It comes out in October. I read it in June. I got an early copy and like devoured it. And I think that you'll like it. It's mm-hmm. nonfiction, it's memoir, but it's going to make a great something. Yeah. Because he's great. And you should follow him on Twitter. Oh, I can't wait. Oh, I also have another answer for okay, an earlier question, which is a better one. Okay. For the <laughs> kids in high school. Yeah. I would suggest kids in high school read Giovanni's Room Ooh. by James Baldwin. We also did that on the show. That's one of my top. I don't know why that wasn't top of mind when you asked that. That's what, maybe one of my number one all time favorite Such a good book. books of my entire life. Um, it also the reason why I would suggest it it um, it echoes a number of relationships I've had in my mm. life, um, romantic relationships I've had with men who identify as straight. Um, and any sort of, sort of just unrequited love, which is so common for, uh, young queer people, you know, because we're all sort of, those of us who come out, you know, I came out when I was 14 or 15, you know, and now I have friends who are much older, 25, 26, 27, 28, 30, who are just now coming out. Mm -hmm. And it's like, if only we could have all been out at 14, 15, you know. So that's when I would really recommend. It's so beautiful it's so and good. sad. And also just, you know, I think part of what I always want to talk about publicly is that it's very easy for us to say that these identities that people are talking about are, you know, new mm-hmm. as if it's new to be gay and black right. at the same time or as if being trans is this new thing right. that kids are doing in 2019, you know. And it's just so incredibly false and i love um i love that this book from 50 60 50 the 60s um you know this gay openly gay black author writing a gay love story uh you know that's radical today yeah let alone back then so that's one i would really i would really suggest reading Yay, I love it. Okay, we're going to wrap up today. Next week, Clark's going to be back. We're reading Never Let Me Go by Kazuo Ishiguro. Um, we're, like I mentioned earlier, we're going to spoil it. So just read the book. It's so good. You're going to be glad that I forced you to read it. Clark, thank you so much for being here. Thanks for having me. What a joy. Yay, and we will see you guys in the stacks.
Okay, that's it for today. Thank you all so much for listening and thank you to Clark Moore for being our guest. Remember that next Wednesday, September 11th, we'll be discussing Never Let Me Go by Kazu Ishiguro and there will be spoilers. Find everything we discussed on today's episode in the link in the show notes. For more from The Stacks, follow us on social media at The Stacks Pod on Instagram and at The Stacks Pod underscore on Twitter and check out our website, thestackspodcast.com. To join The Stacks Pack and get inside access to this show, go to patreon.com slash the stacks. Remember, get your book recommendation read on air by emailing askingthestacks at gmail.com. Make sure you're subscribed to this show wherever you get your podcasts. And if you're listening through Apple Podcasts, please rate and review this show. Our graphic designer is Robin McCright, and our theme music is from Tagirajis. This show was created and produced by me, Tracy Thomas, and I will see you in the stacks. <laughs>